Today on Not Sam Wrestling, a tremendous, a lot to talk about coming off of the Royal Rumble. Where are we heading towards WrestleMania and the Royal Rumble winners? Plus, the incomparable RJ City is joining us on the show. This is Not Sam Wrestling. Is not Sam Wrestling. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Well, I thought it was going to be an easy night. I thought it was going to be an early night. I figured we'd get a Royal Rumble pay-per-view done in two hours and 45 minutes. I forgot, especially with the fact that there's only five matches total on the card. Everybody's like, when are they going to announce the rest of the matches? There ain't no rest of the matches. Those are all the matches. We got uh, some some Royal Rumble matches where we took our time. There was no rushing through Royal Rumble matches. There was no chicanery. It was straight up. I mean, that was chicanery. You know, people on the outside of the ring, people hiding, people disappearing and reappearing. That happens. But, I mean, there was no, like, you look at your watch, and it's like every two minutes somebody's going to come out, and 30 guys have come out, and 40 minutes have passed, and you're like, how did this happen? How does this add up? Um, which I loved. I thought it was a great pay-per-view start to finish. You know, not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but still great. Uh, why bury the lead? First of all, I want to thank the uh, everybody over at the WWE who invited me to participate in the watch-along. Uh, if you haven't seen that, it's just a fun thing to do. They had a, a Zoom window open this time, and it was me and... Uh, Ryan and Evan and Matt from The Bump and Kayla popped in and uh, Queen of the Ring from Twitter and RJ City, who's uh, going to be on the podcast later today, and Tegan Knox was on it, and just all of us watching the men's Royal Rumble match and the women's Royal Rumble match. So that was a blast. And then I also, on Sunday, uh, Sunday afternoon it aired, uh, got to do the Ultimate Royal Rumble show where I went in with Evan and Matt from The Bump, and we basically took, we made a list. We had to first, the three of us, and I don't agree with people very often, <laughs> but the f- three of us had to agree on a list of 30 people that should be in the ultimate Royal Rumble match, men and women in the WWE. Then we had to order that list and the list that the entrance would enter the ring. Then we had to book the match, and it was just, it was a blast to do I got to, I mean, you know, I'm sitting there in a WWE studio with WWE cameras at me, just doing the dumb fantasy booking I used to do with my action figures. So it's, 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 uh, it's a remarkably, ridiculously, unnecessarily fun job that I'm lucky that nobody's figured out I shouldn't have. So it's an amazing thing. So check it out. It was a lot of fun to do. Check out the watch along and everything too. It was just, it was just a blast to watch in those circumstances. But we'll talk about everything. Every match at the pay-per-view had stuff to talk about. But let's talk about the men's Royal Rumble match. Let's start there. Let's start with where we left off. Let's start with Edge winning the 2021 Royal Rumble. He is now a two-time Royal Rumble winner. And, you know, I don't even think Edge... I think the idea of Edge returning for this year's Royal Rumble was probable. You know, I think most people, myself included, thought, yeah, this would be the Rumble Edge. That, that'll be when he returns from the injury that he suffered while they were doing the greatest wrestling match ever. But I don't, 
I, I figured it would just be part of a storyline. In fact, when we were talking about the Royal Rumble on the pod, I was I, I said, you know, probably what will happen is is the Fiend will come out and he and uh, Randy Orton will have a thing, but then the Fiend will align himself with Randy Orton and turn on Edge, and it'll set us up for Edge versus the Fiend, which would still be fun. But it was that promo on Raw that changed everything. It was the fact that he announced that he was going to be in the Royal Rumble. And Edge's promo on Raw was the best thing on Monday Night Raw last week. Out of nowhere, them just saying, hey, Edge is going to talk to us now. And we were like, what? You didn't, like, run commercials for this for two weeks? Hey, Edge is going to speak. Edge is going to speak. Nope. It was just like, oh, Edge is going to talk on tonight's show. And it was like, all right. And you tune in, and he just delivers this promo sitting in the corner of the ring, talking about his mom talking about wanting to be the WWE champion, talking about all this stuff. And it was the best promo. It was the best thing on Monday Night Raw last week. And it's not a surprise because when you think about what Edge was doing, and we forget as wrestling fans, we forget real quickly, you throw enough content at somebody and it becomes real difficult to remember the what you threw at them a couple months ago. You know, you're watching seven hours of wrestling every single week. You're not going to remember every single thing that happened a year ago, six months ago, two months ago. So I think that people forget, you know, we, we kind of lump all of the performance center COVID era stuff in this one category of, uh, of bollocks, as our friends in the UK would say, just garbage. Uh, but the truth is that the performance center Raws that were leading to WrestleMania we had a few, a couple of weeks in the performance center with no audience, no fake audience, no virtual audience, no nothing, no sounds, empty warehouse, set up a ring in it. This is where we're doing raw, and those raws were not bad. Number one, you did, you were going to stuff that was pre-taped. They on one raw they aired the 2020 Royal Rumble. They aired like the Elimination Chamber on a SmackDown, I think, but it was because of the promos. And you go back and you listen to the podcast we were doing leading up to WrestleMania, and I said that I thought that Edge versus Randy Orton had the potential to be better without a crowd than with a crowd because of the storytelling that was going on. Because as good as the promos were between Randy Orton and Edge coming off of the Royal Rumble last year, they were just as good in an empty building because it was just the superstar and a camera and their thoughts. And none of it felt written and none of it felt... Like it wasn't truthful. None of it felt false. None of it felt like a put on. It felt like they were in it. And there were a few matches that had that. Seth Rollins and Kevin Owens had the exact same thing going on leading up to their match. The promos that they had on Raw were the best promos that they'd had, you know, a very long time. You know, I think Kevin Owens has had the opportunity to do even more great stuff with Roman Reigns. But at that point, it had been, I think, the best stuff Kevin Owens had done in years. So. Edge goes away, and he comes back. He cuts this promo, and and then it's announced on WWE Backstage on Saturday that Edge and Randy Orton are going to be number one and number two in this year's Royal Rumble, and I loved that. I thought that was beautiful because that, I mean, it was the same reason why when we did the Ultimate Royal Rumble, I put Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart as number one and number two. It's why 1999, the Royal Rumble starts so good when it's Steve Austin and Vince McMahon. Now, when you do something like that, when you start that hot, you have to 
really build a match after it because it becomes tough to follow. But it's your way of, especially if you're going to announce in advance, it's your way of telling fans that while you will tune in just for the Royal Rumble attraction, we're also letting you know that Edge and Randy Orton are going to be getting their hands on each other. And their hands on each other they got. Edge and Randy Orton went toe-to-toe and boom, 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 boom. And Randy Orton ends up getting helped back. I don't think it was a shock to anybody. I think everybody assumed that Randy Orton would be popping back up towards the end of the match. I don't think it—it's not fair to say that you knew exactly what was going to happen. But you assumed that Randy Orton was not done for the evening. Edge ends up surviving, going from number one all the way until the end of the match, which is a remarkable feat for somebody who's wrestling day in, day out. It's a remarkable feat for somebody who's in their late 20s or somebody who's in their 30s. But for somebody like Edge, who hasn't been in a ring in six months or more, and before that had only had three matches in whatever it was, 10 years or something like that, is insane. It's insane the shape that Edge is in and the stuff that he's doing now. Royal Rumble had a lot of great moments. You know, I thought uh, in terms of the returns, while we didn't get, you know, the massive John Cena, The Rock, we didn't get those, which, you know, I think those were all pipe dreams. Like my John Cena fantasy was just that. Um, That's not to say they won't be at WrestleMania, but I I think that for me anyway, I thought that there would be some, there was a possibility. I didn't think it was definitely going to happen, but I thought there would be a, there was a possibility that some giant star was returning because we really didn't have a concrete way we were going, going into the Royal Rumble. There were possibilities, but we didn't really know. Um, So the Christian return was the return of the night. You know, I think uh, the, I was so happy with the Carlito return. I'm a big Carlito fan. I loved Carlito during his first run. I was super bummed when it didn't work out. Um, That one was spoiled on the internet. If you were reading it, you know, I'm sure it wasn't spoiled for everyone by any stretch of the imagination, but anybody who's like reading everything or just reading Twitter all day or whatever, there were rumors that Carlito was going to be in the match. So, but I thought that was really, really good. He looked good. He had some good moments. It was a lot of fun. The Christian return was amazing because I thought he couldn't wrestle anymore. Like, I, I, I figure it's been so long since we've seen him. And even that one Raw where they said they were going to do a fight between Randy Orton and Christian and it ended up just being like a schmoz, I figured it was because Christian just doesn't do this anymore. But the fact that he shows up and he puts his gear on and he's got no shirt on and he's in shape like crazy and he's doing kill switches and doing all his old stuff and you got to see the embrace between Edge and Christian. I thought it was great because so much, like there were so many times in the Rumble match. And when we were doing the Ultimate Rumble match and Matt Camp had booked uh, two different sets of people to eliminate each other before we'd even gotten to number 15, I was like, you can't get repetitive in these Royal Rumble matches. You can't, you can't do this. So I did think between the two Royal Rumble matches, and granted, there's only so much you can do, but I did think between the two Royal Rumble matches, there was a lot of the team up, just kidding, team up, just kidding, team up, just kidding, to the point where you could, you could forecast it uh, most of the times that it was going to happen. But I guess that's Royal Rumble for you.
The hurricane return was fun. I thought it was good. Seth Rollins returning was really cool. You know, I, I, I think that I'm interested in seeing where it's going. You know, he looked good. It felt good. Eliminating Daniel Bryan. Oh, and like I told you, I told you. I told you on, on, on the WWE show, on the Ultimate Royal Rumble show, I've said this before. Daniel Bryan's position in the Royal Rumble is to break your heart. That's who Daniel Bryan is in the Royal Rumble match. He is a heartbreaker. He is the guy that is put in there to make you believe that your guy is going to do it only to have your heart broken. It's going to happen every time you see Daniel Bryan in a in a Royal Rumble match. Doesn't mean it won't go to WrestleMania. It's happened before, but it's going to break your heart. It feels like, I mean, you can't have every single thing that happens in the Royal Rumble become a WrestleMania match. But I wouldn't complain about seeing a Daniel Bryan versus Seth Rollins rivalry going into WrestleMania. That really wouldn't bother me one bit. That seems like it would be right up my alley. But Edge coming out on top. First of all, like the final, I guess, I think it was five or six. Not counting Randy Orton because he wasn't on screen. But it was like Seth Rollins, which I'm glad that they clearly showed him on the outside of the ring. Because you can only do that so many times. We didn't eliminate somebody, but we're hoping you'll forget about him. Like, that's what was happening with Randy Orton. So to clearly show that Seth was there, I think, was the right move. But Seth Rollins, Matt Riddle, Edge, Christian, Braun Strowman, and Daniel Bryan. Just in the ring together, and it's like, whoa. This is what we're working with in WWE right now? This is incredible. I thought the series of events was good. You know, we were left in this position where maybe Seth Rollins is going to be like the heel. I mean, talk about a heartbreaker. Maybe he's going to eliminate Edge. I think by the time we, we, by the time Brian was out, we probably, probably guessed it would be Edge, but not necessarily. And I'll tell you when you didn't guess it would be Edge. I didn't think when Randy Orton hit Edge with the RKO, it was anybody's game. When Randy Orton jumped back in that ring, you could see, I mean, because there's just as much story in Edge achieving his goal to start this dream. There's as much story in that as there is the diabolical Randy Orton ruined it for Edge again, and now he gets to go to WrestleMania. So I, I, I don't think when Randy showed up, it was clear at all that Edge was going to eliminate him. or Randy, It was like, oh, my God, what's going to happen now? And he, he hits the RKO, and then they didn't do a whole theatrical thing. The Edge just spun it around and threw Randy Orton outside the ring, and Randy Orton couldn't believe that his plan didn't work. But his face was not like a shocked guy who, you know, only got a two count on the pin. The most overused spot in wrestling. Oh, and the look of disbelief on his face. I know. I've seen it in every match I've ever seen. I got it. I've heard the story. It was more like a human, like, oh, no. Like, it wasn't this shock of, what do I got to do to this guy? It was, wow, I underestimated him. Like, it was almost a disappointment in himself that he had had this whole plan, and it didn't work because he underestimated Edge. And I personally think that's the end of the Randy Orton-Edge rivalry. It might not be. You could see. So now the question is, Edge stands strong, and he puts up the horns, and he points him to the WrestleMania sign. To me, a beautiful sight. 
I am just the biggest Edge fan in the world. I think I'm a, I mean, I think I'm a bigger Edge fan now than I ever have been. I mean, Rated R Superstar really got me, but I think I'm a bigger Edge fan now. I'm a big Edge fan. Been a big Edge fan for a while. The reason why this is so great, and this does not fall into the category, because you sit there and you go like, well, look, Sam, you were voicing concerns about Goldberg. You know, you're one of these guys that thinks that Goldberg, that you, you cringe when you hear Goldberg's music, and that's true. When I find out it's Goldberg versus Drew McIntyre, I don't go, oh, this could be interesting. Even though it could be interesting, I go like this, oh, no, no, no. Okay, so Goldberg is a legend. Edge is a legend. Edge is not a full-timer. Edge just came in at number one. 29 other guys, at least 25 of them, were active roster guys. And Edge goes through them all, and he's the one who gets the WrestleMania main event. How come Goldberg getting the title shot at the Royal Rumble is so bad, Sam, and Edge getting the WrestleMania main event is fine? And the answer is because Edge is performing at the highest level that he's ever performed. He's not wrestling every night, but when he does, you're not going to sit there and say he's not one of the greatest to ever do it. And when he tells a story in his promos and in the ring, you feel the story. You don't understand the story. I mean, you understand it, but your reaction to it is not like, oh, I I, I acknowledge this story. I understand it. So many stories in wrestling are acknowledged because I understand it. Oh, he's mad at him. They're going to fight now. Oh, okay, I understand. Edge's stories you actually feel. You feel in your blood. You get those goosebumps going. You're like, yes, I am in this with you, Adam Copeland. Edge is performing at the highest level. And the other thing is, Edge lives and breathes this thing. At some point, I'm going to interview Edge again. I don't think I've interviewed Edge since right after his retirement. And when I interviewed Edge, I was shocked because I know that he is a wrestler. Uh, wrestling is everything to him, right? He grew up a wrestling fan. It's, it's been his dream forever. And when I interviewed him, he was totally, he told me he was totally at peace and okay with not wrestling anymore. No, I'm fine. No, I don't, I'm cool. I don't miss it. And I'm going, what? And when I see him now and the fact that 100% of his brain is in this thing, all I can think of is this is a guy who maintains his sanity by turning the switch off. He knows that this is his obsession. In real life, he knows that when it comes to wrestling, it's not a dimmer switch. It's either on or off. And when the doctor told him you can't wrestle anymore, he turned the switch off. Then it's got to be nothing. And when the doctor told him maybe you can wrestle a little bit and he started taking meetings, all of a sudden that switch turned on. And that's why every time you see him doing something wrestling related, he's all in 100%. I don't think there's any denying that Edge is just a different type of dude. And I don't think if you're being honest, you could say, for argument's sake, you could be like, oh, you don't like Sting, but you like Edge? Oh, you don't like Goldberg, but you like Edge? You know it's different. If you're being honest, 
you know it's different. You know that that when you see Edge, you don't feel like you're watching a retirement tour. You know when you see Edge, you feel like you're watching a, a, a relevant, active story. And watching Edge go toe-to-toe in that Rumble match tonight, because we didn't get to see it the last time because he came in so late in the match. But watching him with all the guys that he was in there with, with Seth and AJ and Brian, everybody, everybody. It was just outstanding. So now the question is, and, and so that's the one criticism that people are raising, is the sort of like not letting the young guys have one. And, and that I don't buy because that criticism is, like you, you, if you're going to make that criticism, you have to be able to make an, an intellectually based argument. You can't just say that. You can't just say anybody over this age or anybody who doesn't wrestle this number of dates a year shouldn't do this. And it's like, well, no, 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 no. Just like life, this is a nuanced conversation. What is this person's purpose here? What does he do for the fans? What do the fans get back from watching him perform? Where is this going? You know, am I entertained by this? On what level, like... Am I watching this out of curiosity? Am I watching this out of nostalgia? Or am I watching this because, oh my God, he's still doing some of the best work of his career. And for Edge, it's, it's that. You're, wa- you're not watching a nostalgia act, in my opinion. So that's why, to me, that criticism does not hold water. The second thing that was coming up from people is, mm, okay, but where does this go? I don't know how excited I am about these potential matches. You know, um, and the reality is Edge has only had one opponent. Edge's 2020 did not work out how it was supposed to work out. Edge had the surprise return of all surprise returns. They thought he was gone forever, and he's not. And he's come back, and his only opponent has been Randy Orton. It's the only stuff he's done. So now I do think it's time to move on from that. Again, there is a possibility that Randy beats Drew before WrestleMania for sure. We got two, not one, two pay-per-views before WrestleMania. Elimination Chamber and Fast Fast Lane. Fast Chance, I was going to say. Fast Lane are both before WrestleMania. So clearly, Randy Orton could be the WWE champion by then. I don't think so, but it's possible. But let's speak in the realm of the title stay on the champions, which I absolutely think that they should. There's two different directions you could go in this. And I have a huge preference. I think either one will work, but I have a huge preference. The first is with Roman Reigns. Edge could go over to SmackDown and challenge the Universal Champion. And that's an easy story to tell. Roman, you don't put food on the table the way I put food on the table. Roman, you haven't accomplished the things that I've accomplished. Like, Roman, you might be intimidating your cousins. Maybe you're intimidating some of these other guys, but in case you didn't know, I've seen heights that you could only dream of. We're talking about two different eras here, okay? And and, and the stuff that I did, I'm even better now than I was then. I'm the biggest star on this show, Roman, not you. And what the biggest star on the show is supposed to do, Roman, is he's supposed to do things that benefit the show. 
He's not supposed to wear that, that, that crown selfishly. He's not supposed to take pride in the fact that everybody's reliant on him. No. What he's supposed to do is use that power to make everyone better. Not try to use everyone to make him better. So Roman, what I'm going to do is I'm going to use my power to make everyone better. I'm going to knock you off of the head of the table. I'm going to take your championship. I'm going to take your spot. And then I'm going to make SmackDown better. A lot of people talk about building SmackDown. I created SmackDown. I was part of the original SmackDown class. When people laughed at SmackDown, the first draft class, when people laughed at SmackDown, it was me, and it was Ray, and it was Eddie, and it was Kurt. We were the guys that were putting on a show that made people go, oh, maybe this is the best show on television. And you have showed up, and you have sat in the chair that I built. Well, Roman, I am back to take that chair from you and then to use that chair to make everyone better, which is something that you have no idea how to do. And Rome goes, okay, take my chair. But you're going to have to pry this title from my dead, from my cold, dead hands, Edge. That's what you're going to have to do. And you got a fabulous story going in. Edge is there to bring SmackDown and the superstars of SmackDown back to their glory and to end the reign of terror that Roman has been on. Roman is there to destroy Edge's dream and to prove that Edge is not Roman Reigns. Edge is nothing compared to Roman Reigns. It's a great story to tell. I'm, I'm down for it. You go to WrestleMania, people will cheer Edge. People will boo Roman Reigns. Spear versus spear, baby. Whose spear is better? Let's find out at WrestleMania. It would be perfect, and it would be an opponent for Roman Reigns that you were like, oh, he could believably beat him. Walking into Royal Rumble tonight, I don't think anybody thought Kevin Owens was going to win. Still interested in the match because the stories have been good, but nobody thought Kevin Owens was going to win. The Jey Uso matches, nobody ever thought Jey Uso was going to win. Still interested in the matches, still interested in the story, still good. But nobody thought Jay or Kevin would win. I, you know, looking at SmackDown, who do you really think? Who do you, who could go to WrestleMania that you're like, oh, that person might beat Roman Reigns? I don't know if there's anybody today. That's not to say that couldn't change very quickly, but I don't think there's anybody today. Edge shows up. Yeah, the narrative shifts. Yes, Edge shows up and the narrative is completely different. Now, I like that. Clearly, I like it. I set it up nicely. That's not even my preference. My preference is Drew McIntyre versus Edge at WrestleMania. Drew McIntyre versus Edge is very simple. Edge wants his dream to come true. Drew McIntyre wants to prove he is the top guy. That's the story. Don't even have to turn Edge or Drew heel. Absolutely not. 
what you do is you, it's a similar story to the story I talked about with John Cena, except not quite so. I mean, I don't think people are ever going to boo Edge. So not quite so bitter on the part of Edge, but maybe, I mean, here's why I don't think Edge should be as bitter as John Cena. Because if you go into the match as the bitter old man who wants to prove Drew McIntyre wrong, when Drew McIntyre wins, you cannot pick up the pieces and keep wrestling after that. That has to be it. And I don't think this is going to be it for Edge. I don't think he's going to be around for all that long, but I think he's got another year or two in him. I think there's going to be, the plan has always been to do, I think, specialty matches with Edge. So what you don't want to do is have Edge bury the generation and then have him lose, and then you can't really come back and save face after that. So I don't think you can be as harsh on Drew as John could have been on Drew. I don't think that you end up in a in a babyface heel scenario. I think you end up with two good guys. But I think you set up a scenario where, again, you walk into WrestleMania going either of these two guys could win. Look, Drew McIntyre uh, did indeed kick Goldberg's head off tonight. He beat Goldberg at the Royal Rumble. And when he beat Goldberg... Goldberg said, you passed the test. You're the man. He said you passed the test to him. You, I mean, you could clearly hear him on television. I feel like if that were me and I were Drew McIntyre, I'd kick him again and say, oh, man, you don't, you don't have the credibility to test me. But Drew is a nice guy. He's a nicer guy than me. So Drew gave him a hug and said, thank you, buddy. He gave him a hug as if he had just beaten his dad up. He was right. He was right. I don't know if Gold... I mean... Goldberg could come back for a specialty match now, but I think, you know, it'll be a while before Goldberg is in that discussion. Like, I don't know that Goldberg could come back and challenge Roman Reigns now. I guess he could. He is still Goldberg, but, you know. But I think that, I think that that is, again, chapter one. That we're now in the phase where Roman has, I mean, not Roman, where McIntyre has to prove himself generationally speaking. McIntyre has to prove that it his name is on that mantle with the Hogans and the Austins and the Rocks and the Cenas and the Edges and the Ortons. McIntyre's name is right there. How does he do that? Well, successfully defending the title. He beat Drew McIntyre. That was a little bit of a weird rivalry. He beat Bobby Lashley. Beat Randy Orton a bunch of times. Randy Orton beat him a couple times, but then he beat him again right after that. Now he's beaten Goldberg, and it's like Edge says, okay, you've beaten Goldberg, but I'm not past my prime. As luck would have it, as fate would have it, and who would have expected it? I, at this age, at this stage of my career, have found myself in my prime, Drew. And I don't want to come to WrestleMania to put you over. I don't want to come to WrestleMania to go out on my back. I don't even want to come to WrestleMania to prove that you're not the guy. I want to come to WrestleMania to prove to myself that I still am. And that's the story. Edge is not trying to disprove Drew McIntyre. Edge is not trying to say that my generation was tougher than yours. Edge is trying to say that I can still hang with you guys. And I think if you tell that story, 
you can get to a place where Drew winning, you can have a hell, you can have an incredible match. Drew winning can make it so Drew is just on the next, next, next level now. And Edge can still prove that he can hang. Even if he loses, if he has this incredible match where he gets in a ton of offense and everything, he can prove that he can still hang. Nothing about the Goldberg-Drew McIntyre match made me think, ah, Goldberg should be wrestling every week. I mean, clearly, right? But if Edge takes Drew to the limit, for real, then we're left going like, yeah, I mean, Drew is the top guy, but Edge, you still got it. That's what you want coming out of this. You want Drew holding up the title and everybody going, you're the man. You are the king. And then everybody looking at Edge going, but you still got it, dude. Don't let him, don't let him trick you on that. You still got it. And then Edge can go into his next series of matches and beating heels and doing whatever he's got to do. But in the meantime, I mean, I personally, the way I have them set up in my head, I prefer the Drew McIntyre story. But both can work. Both can work well. I think it's uh I think it's a very good call. I think they made very good calls in both Royal Rumble matches. We had some fun uh, returns in the women's Royal Rumble match too. Victoria coming out. Uh, I thought the Victoria one was super fun just because the internet all talked about how it was either last year or the year before that pictures leaked of Victoria's Tron being used. And then Victoria didn't come out. And she was like, yeah, I don't know why they did that. And so with all the, you know, all that stuff on the internet for the last year or two, to have Victoria actually come out, I think it was awesome. And she was great. You know, obviously, Tori Wilson. Um, Naomi had a really, really good showing. Naomi had a really, really good showing. I hope that momentum continues. I feel like with Naomi, there's a lot of start and stop, and I don't think it's fair. I think Naomi is incredible. So I really hope that that continues. You know, I'd like to see, now that Carmella has both lost the Royal Rumble, which, by the way, why wouldn't you kick Gerald in the head and have him drop Carmella like she falls out of his arms instead of him just putting her down? I, I that, was, that was a bummer. But I would love to see a Naomi versus Carmella rivalry on SmackDown. I, like I've always, I've been saying this for a long time, I think. We need more rivalries among women that are not centered around a championship. So uh, I, I, I think that that would just be a good good guy versus bad guy, storyline-driven rivalry. I think that would be a lot of fun. Um, final three was perfect. Not only was the final three perfect, but I was watching the final two. Final three was uh, Charlotte, Bianca Belair, who came in at number three. Good look for Bianca. Charlotte, Bianca Belair, and Rhea Ripley. The whole ending sequence was fantastic in the women's Rumble match. Uh, but especially when it boiled down to just Rhea and Bianca. Because for everything that is said about NXT stars not getting their just due when they get to the main roster, for whatever reason, NXT stars do not become stars when they get to the main roster. Something goes haywire. Something goes wrong. And when you hear about people going to the main roster and you like them in NXT, you almost hold your breath. <gasps> Like, you know, the Royal Rumble appearances, you, Damian Priest had an excellent Royal Rumble appearance. By the way, great to see Shotzi in the Royal Rumble this year, and it felt different seeing Shotzi in the Rumble this year than it did last year, for sure. Shotzi is just at a different place. 
Damian Priest, I think, I hope, opened a lot of eyes. I thought he was great. And having the Kane appearance was awesome in the Rumble, too. But the final two, and I love, too, the face that Charlotte made. Like, the same way I loved Randy Orton's face after getting eliminated, the fact that Charlotte was, like, laughing, like, oh, you got me. Ooh, you got me. Like, oh, I'm mad about this, but I'm smiling. Like, I loved that. I, Charlotte's facial expressions are actually very underrated. They're not talked about enough. She's Charlotte is so good, man. She is so good. But when you're watching Rhea Ripley versus Bianca Belair, I think we need to sit there and, and, and have people say, this is what's going on on Wednesday nights. Why do you think we can have this women's division? Where do you think Bianca Belair became Bianca Belair? And by the way, woof. Between Peter Rosenberg winning the 24-7 championship and Bianca Belair, especially the Bianca Belair thing, winning the Royal Rumble, my app mentions were a dangerous place last night. My app mentions were not a place that any of you wanted to be, quite frankly. I think it's re hilarious that there's still that many people that are all, like, up in arms about a pre-show from... I guess two years ago at this point. Yeah, it was two, right? It wasn't three. I think it was two. But, you know, I mean, whatever. You know, it doesn't... At this point, I'm like, what are you guys doing? Like, oh, you were wrong two years ago. No. No, I was right two years ago. I said two years ago. Like, she didn't, she didn't even win the Royal Rumble a year after that. And two years later, she's made tremendous progress over two years, right? Like, could you deny that? Like... She's improved outrageously over two years. And even then, even two years ago, I was like, she's a great athlete. You know, I've never, it's crazy. But you guys that listen to this podcast, I think have known that from the beginning. But I really think that when you look at Rhea Ripley and Bianca Belair in that match, you got to sit there and go, this is the women's division of NXT. This is what NXT has to offer. It's just like, like, this is what we've got because framed correctly, that Rhea Ripley versus Bianca Belair section of the match, the ending section, should be a commercial for NXT. This is what we got. We'll have more next year for you. Bianca Belair, I think, was the right choice. I think if you had asked people... By the way, I was so annoyed with how many people were like, Bianca Belair, I called it. It's like, yeah, everybody called it. <laughs> what do you mean you called it? Literally everybody's choice. But I think that, I think that uh, uh, six months ago, if you had asked who should win the Royal Rumble, I think Rhea Ripley would have been the choice. But the power dynamic has been shifted. And it's not even so much that Rhea Ripley's stock has dropped. Maybe it has a little bit. But it's it's just money in Bianca Belair has gone through the roof right now. And every time Bianca Belair is given an opportunity, she succeeds. Even those vignettes that they were doing on her way to SmackDown, like the, you know, modern Mr. Perfect vignettes, even those were good. Because it's true. Because her story's true. Because she's being herself. She really is that level of an athlete. She really was crying at the end of the match. Like there was, it was a real thing. It wasn't wrestling. It was real. I think that's where the 
connection happens and she's completely found herself. She feels like she knows exactly who she is. And there's no doubt in my mind, by the way. Bianca Belair versus Sasha Banks is the match for WrestleMania. You put Bianca Belair and Sasha Banks on that show? Oh, my God. You got something that people may talk about for years. Bianca Belair versus Sasha Banks. Sasha Banks was the one that came out of NXT that people like me, I was sitting there. I was number one on the Sasha Banks bandwagon. There was no, there were no Sasha Banks super fans before I was going on the podcast 200 episodes ago and saying Sasha Banks is my favorite wrestler. You know what? WrestleMania 32 in Dallas. This woman comes up to me. Hey, Sam, right? I was like, yeah, hey, how are you? And she goes, oh, you don't know who I am, do you? I go, no. She goes, I'm Sasha's mom. No, she, I think she said, I'm Mercedes' mom, Sasha. And I was like, and she, I looked at her shirt. She was wearing the legit boss shirt. And I was like, oh, my God, it's so nice to meet you, blah, blah, blah. And we were talking. I was like, I'm just such a fan of your daughter. I think she's so great. And she's like, oh, I know. I watch all the interviews. I'm just, you know, I, I'm, 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 I'm so happy how much you talk about her. And, and I'm like, look, she's doing so great. Don't even, it's not, a, it has nothing to do with me. She's like, oh, well, you know, but we were talking about, like, I'm the original Sasha Banks stan. Before wrestling stan Twitter was even a thing, I was standing for Sasha Banks on here. Sasha Banks is my favorite wrestler you could have put on a Sam Roberts t-shirt years ago. Four years ago, I guess. 32, we're going, five years ago. My God, at this point. Podcast's been going on for a while. But Sasha has only improved. Sasha, especially this year, she's so good. And Sasha knows what that's like. Sasha knows what it's like to be the most buzzed about NXT recruit. To come in and have people be like, mm, I don't know. Have the Sam Robertses of the world being like, eh, I don't know. Only to prove them wrong and to continue to prove them wrong and continue to prove them wrong. I mean... Sasha Banks versus Charlotte was one of the matches that put women's wrestling on the map for WWE. Sasha Banks versus Charlotte in San Jose at the NXT live event before they did takeovers on those weekends. That was one of the matches that made people in the WWE go, oh my God, we got to change everything because it was the main event. And all the NXT fans were not sitting there going like, oh, we're cheering for this because it's revolutionary. They were sitting there going, we're cheering for this because this is the match we want to see the most. And that's when you know you've, you've crossed the threshold. That's when you know you're there. I think a Bianca Belair, Sasha Banks WrestleMania match could, could, potentially do for women's wrestling something on the level of Bailey versus Sasha at TakeOver Brooklyn 1. I think it could be so, so very special that I think it's absolutely no triple threat nonsense, no anything. Bianca Belair versus Sasha Banks, who is the best women's wrestler? That's it. That's the conversation to have. And I'm so looking forward to it. Uh, no Becky Lynch. She did tweet out a picture of a curtain, clearly a WWE curtain. I said on the watch along uh, that I thought that maybe it was because Seth Rollins is going to be a surprise. 
I love doing those watch-alongs because I'm not a WWE guy, so I can use my brain to spoil things because, yeah, Seth Rollins came out. You know, great. It was great. Um, so, yeah, so I was happy with both Rumble matches. I'm glad Goldberg was not in the men's Rumble match. Um, looking at that Goldberg match, you know, it went exactly how it should have went. And I think that part of the problem was that COVID slowed down the storytelling. You know, I think not having Drew McIntyre on Raw two weeks in a row probably slowed it down. For me, you know, having Goldberg and Drew team up to face, like, to lay out Miz and Morrison didn't really do anything for me. Um, by the way, shouts to Bad Bunny on that flying. Bad Bunny, better off the top rope than Snoop Dogg. Can we say that? Snoop Dogg, terrible. Bad Bunny, not so terrible. Although, it was a lot of non-wrestlers getting the old push ski on the Royal Rumble, that's for sure. Um, but uh, I thought that the Goldberg-Drew match, I was happy with how it went. I wish Drew had sold a little less, to tell you the truth. Like, I wish it looked like it hadn't taken quite as much out of Drew McIntyre. Because, like, by the end of it, the commentators were like, Drew McIntyre was pushed to the limit. And obviously, that's the story they were trying to tell. But as a fan, I was sitting there going, like, they wrestled for, like, four minutes. What are you talking about? Like, Goldberg got five moves in. What are you talking about? But still, Drew decisively beat him. I think it's a big victory for Drew. It does make me kind of wonder why they did the Goldberg-Drew thing. Like, it doesn't necessarily feel like we're in a different place coming out of it. Um, but still, it's a good... It, it What it does do is it cements Drew. It lets everybody know that Drew is not a champion for right now. We're not experimenting with Drew McIntyre. Drew McIntyre's our guy. That's the signaling that I think it sends to the audience, and I and I, and I think it should be. Um, Kevin Owens versus Roman was great. The finish was super wonky, and that's just an unfortunate thing. I mean, clearly, Paul Heyman was having some trouble picking the lock on the handcuff. The referee just forgot how to count halfway through. Corey Graves is over there going like, it looks like he's come to somewhat of a vertical base. I guess that's why they stopped the count. And I'm like, bro, they stopped the count like 30 seconds ago. What are you talking about? Um, but still, I mean, an insane match. And the stuff that Kevin Owens and Roman were both doing was great. Um, you know, the Oscar-Charlotte pre-show match. I think it's good that Nia and Shayna have the titles again. I liked what Nia and Shayna did in the Rumble, that they still don't get along, but they do get along. Like, they can team effectively. I, thought, I, I I like that dynamic that they, you know, were fighting. And then when they were both eliminated, they were not, because they don't have a goal, they're not trying to win and go to WrestleMania, they could get back in the ring and be on the same side again. I like that. I think they're good tag team champions. Um, it just makes me feel like we started with Charlotte and Asuka as tag team champions. And in my head and on my podcast, this one, I specifically sat there and said, uh, you know, that that Charlotte and Asuka should be the new two-man power trip, a female version of the two-man power trip, just an unbeatable team that eventually leads to a split. But it was kind of like for nothing, the whole thing, you know? They very quickly just deteriorated into two different people having two different storylines. Asuka's over here with Alexa Bliss. Charlotte's over here with Lacey. They're not helping each other. They're not acknowledging each other. At some point, Charlotte's teaming with other people. And I mean, and then even tonight, it's like, Asuka doesn't have any problems with Lacey coming off of tonight. Charlotte does. 
If you got punched in the forehead with brass knuckles, I'd be pissed if somebody did that to me. Um, and you know, in the Royal Rumble stuff. So I guess, <laughs> I guess we're going with Charlotte versus Lacey, which I'm fine with. I just don't know why you started the Charlotte Nasca thing. It feels like at some point they just decided they wanted to get out of it and they got out of it. So, you know, hopefully we go in a different direction from there. Um, I, uh, I did from a, a programming note, uh, I, I dumped, I noticed, you know, I got, I don't want to say behind on some stuff, but I was focusing a lot of energy on my show on the WWE Network. The season finale of Not Sam Wrestling on the WWE Network, the free version of the WWE Network, went up on Thursday. It's 90 minutes. It's just packed full of content. It's one of my favorite things I've ever done. There's music montages. There's uh, uh, surprise cameos, no pun intended, pun intended, from people. Um, uh, interview with Mark Henry. Matt Camp is on with me talking retirement matches. Two monologues, one about Sean, one about Ric Flair. Just a ton, a ton of stuff. I'm really, really proud of the entire season of Not Sam Wrestling. And I have a lot of gratitude to the people at the WWE Network that entrusted me to just deliver them a show. They came to me. They said, will you do this for us? I said, I would love to do this for you. And I just gave them a show every week. And they and they put it on as is. And, I mean, it's it's something I'm very proud of. I, I Hot Dog and myself learned how to produce a television show over the last... 15 weeks. And I mean, it's, it's a pretty major accomplishment. But like in the, this is what'd you do in the pandemic? Some people learned guitar. Some people learned, uh, I don't know how to use Facebook. <laughs> Some people learned about stocks. They bought GameStop. I learned how to produce a TV show. And by the end of it, by the end of the 15 weeks, we were left with something I was pretty proud of. So Please watch that if you do get a chance. Uh, if you're only going to watch one episode, season finale, probably my favorite. Definitely the one we put the most work in. Um, and I appreciate all you that have watched it, and especially all you guys in the Discord room uh, on Patreon at patreon.com slash notsamwrestling, where a bunch of you are getting to watch the live feed of this podcast, as we do, uh, and definitely got the podcast early. Uh, all of you did on Patreon. Um I appreciate all you guys talking about it in the Discord room and the conversations we've had about it. It's been really, really fun. Uh, but I say that to say this week I find I had some time open up. So I was going through and realizing a bunch of the videos from this podcast hadn't made it on the YouTube page. So uh, I am going to be making sure I get more videos. Uh, I get all the videos up there, all the interviews that we do and stuff like that, all the guests that we have on. Uh, I put videos up on the YouTube page. First, of course, they go to the Patreon page, patreon.com slash wrestling. But they all do end up on the YouTube page, youtube.com slash wrestling. If you're listening to the podcast, go ahead and sign up for that. All of our interviews, some of the hot take videos and other content that we do go up at youtube.com slash wrestling. Uh, and I've been putting up videos uh, every day. Uh, the Skylar Aston video went up on Friday. Dave LaGreco went up on Saturday. Uh, Alicia Atut went up on Sunday. I think today at 11.30, the Swerve Scott interview drops. And uh, other videos, Rob Schamberger, other videos are going to drop throughout the week, uh, every day, until we're kind of caught up. Uh, so definitely subscribe to that page. And that's also where you will be able to see video uh, of our guest this week. RJ City uh, is a guy who's been making a name for himself, uh, creating content. He's a wrestler. But I think he's a content creator before he's a wrestler. But uh, 
you know, he's done a whole bunch of stuff that has just put his name inside people's ears. Uh, he's a big part of the You Not You Cannot Kill David Arquette documentary uh, that came out because he was the the wrestler, the independent wrestler that really first brought David Arquette into that wacky, wacky world, first through a rivalry and then through a team. Uh, he got a lot of buzz uh, for his drinking coffee in underwear videos, primarily the one that he did with Stone Cold Steve Austin. He, he stripped down to his skivvies and asked Stone Cold Steve Austin to join him for some coffee and then put in a video of it from the Broken Skull Ranch. It looks amazing. You can find that on YouTube. You just do a search for RJ City, you can find it. He's got a great video about Danny DeVito. He's got all kinds of stuff going on. But he also ends up on a lot of the WWE digital shows. He's on The Bump every other week. He was on Watch Along with us uh, for the Rumble matches. And he did uh, have a, a, a little part on the last episode of Not Sam Wrestling on the WWE Network. And I just, I mean, I find him hilarious. I follow him on Twitter. And I find him to be an interesting guy, you know. I especially found it interesting. The Fight Network YouTube channel put out a documentary called RJ City Wrestling Tour, And it ends up being just basically RJ City talking to a camera. Well, I guess he's talking to a guy. I don't think he's looking down the camera lens. Uh, about his philosophies on wrestling and entertainment and what it is that he does and what motivates him to do what he does. And I just think he's a really smart, interesting dude with a lot of uh, a lot of diversity in the way he performs. And he does it in a very unique and a very interesting and a very truthful way. So I reached out to RJ City and said, hey, man, you should do the podcast. I'd like to get to know you a little bit better. And in my process of getting to know you a little bit better, I'd like all the Not Samsonites to get to know you a little bit better. So that's what we're doing here today. RJ City is my guest this week on Not Sam Wrestling. The Not Sam Wrestling interview. So we've been featured on shows together, but never my show together. So now is the day that that happens, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the podcast, the wrestling raconteur, RJ City. Yet, that statement is also kind of not true, because I did appear on your series finale of your other show. I guess that is true. Yeah. I didn't, I, we, we didn't get to interact. But you were no. you were on the finale. I just, I, I basically, you know, I'm so connected. I sent out just feelers, you know, out to everybody in the industry. Just, hey, guys, what did you all think of the show? And a bunch of you yeah. guys just sent in videos on your own accord, which I appreciated. <laughs> yeah, no, it was really nice that you, you didn't even set me up either. No. You were just talking about blah, 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 Ric Flair, greatest <laughs> retirement of all time. And then, like, there was a wife, and then there was me. <laughs> just... It was almost like like a Milton Berle tribute dinner that <laughs> yeah. no one wanted to show up to. <laughs> yeah. Like, just sent in videos. <laughs> like, hey, uh, Milton, this is Mike Douglas. Hope you're doing well. And they just raise their glass, and that's it. Yeah, I think... You know, I really liked yours because of the, uh, well, of the Rob Bartlett. To start with the Rob Bartlett reference, I thought was super strong. But then Tito Santana came through and just read verbatim what I had written. And I was like, I mean, you can't beat that. Just Tito Santana going, it is clearly the best show on the WWE Network. I was like, yeah, that's, you're not going to beat you that. You know, his one strength was reading comprehension. Yeah. <laughs> and he really understood it. I will say, I thought of the Rob Bartlett comment, mm -hmm. and then I hadn't 
been I wasn't familiar with what Rob was up to. So I literally said to myself, let me look and just make sure he's not canceled or didn't do something horrible, <laughs> you know, because I didn't want to just throw it out there. And then I looked it up uh-huh. and he was in um, How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying on Broadway with Daniel Radcliffe. I saw him do the show, but I didn't see it with Daniel Radcliffe. I saw it like the second cast. He stuck around for one of the Jonas Brothers uh, taking over that role. But I went and saw it and and I got to and, and Rob Bartlett introduced me to the Jonas Brothers. So it was really he exciting. Was the transitional champion between <laughs> Daniel Radcliffe and the Jonas Brothers. That's because right. people didn't want too much of a shock right. changing the format, right? Right. People would go, oh my God, Daniel's gone. What Jonas is this? And then, you know, the producers would come out and say, Don't worry, everyone. Rob Bartlett is here. Yeah. <laughs> Monday Night Raw Monday Night Raw's Rob Bartlett is still here. It was also <laughs> like one of my favorite things about doing that show was was going through the old footage. And I hadn't really considered when I was talking about Ric Flair and Mr. Perfect having that retirement match, how that was like a, the first really serious match on Raw. And I was like, wait a minute, Rob Bartlett was still doing commentary when that match happened. So I watched the thing back and like Vince went to Rob once for a comment and then never again. He just, just completely was out of it for the rest of the match. And it's funny where you think, you know, to a certain extent, Rob Bartlett is like a running joke in that sense. And then you look at him and you're like, wow, I can't believe you just dove into that. And you said, all right, you know, <laughs> an hour of live wrestling, let's let's do it. Yeah, yeah, and he did it for 13 weeks, you know? He also had, you know, Vince on one side and Randy on the other, which I don't think is the the easiest dynamic <laughs> to, like, sink into. Right, right. Yeah, like two of the biggest personalities in the history of wrestling, one of whom owns the company sitting right next to you. It's like, you know, you're probably, you probably, those aren't your training wheels. I think it would be hard to just have Randy Savage next to you for the tassels in your periphery. I find it very distracting, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. you know? Like... But I do I do want to say, yeah. I, uh, thank you for having me on, number one. Number two, I'm I'm kind of dismayed that it is this program um, because <laughs> I, uh, well, okay. well, I do have, uh, for two reasons, a tinge of jealousy towards you. Wow. And a healthy, it's a healthy way. I don't think it's bad. I don't, uh, you know. I can't I imagine why you. I can't imagine well, why because of Jim Norton uh-huh. because I was such a fan of tough crowd as a child. Ah, oh. and now don't get me wrong. He wasn't that good on the show <laughs> to, to be so close to that circle. Right. Right. And to me, those were like, Oh my God. So I'm from, as you know, Toronto mm-hmm. and we don't get the best programming. So in the summers I would go to New York and see my grandmother and I would be hit with this show. And I thought it was just so fantastic. And now every morning they're on YouTube, I'll put on an episode and I will get none of the references because it's very topical. (laughs) Very topical. I still enjoy it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. You know who from Tough Crowd was a tremendous wrestling fan? Oh. Patrice O'Neill. What he wrote. Yes. Does anyone know about this? Have we spoken to anyone who is... I mean, if you if you really search on YouTube on Opie and Anthony, he, I think it was on Opie and Anthony. He to, he's told the story about writing for WWE and then I mean getting fired multiple times over the course of a single conversation within days because he kind of realized what it was and he said like Stephanie McMahon was telling him we have to we need you this weekend. He was like I'm gonna I'm gonna go do stand up. 
She's like, well, if you're not here, we can't have you on the staff. And he was like, oh, okay. Well, I'll be, I mean, I'm going to be doing stand-up this weekend. So she's like, well, we're going to have to fire you. And he was like, okay. She's like, we, so you're fired. And he was like, right. Well, I'm going to be doing stand-up this weekend. So I don't know what to, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you here. <laughs> which is so fascinating, which does make me, you know, uh, and I'm a huge fan of his. And I love, you know, his stand-up is very heelish in a sense where like, he would say something, kind of start to get booed, and then not falter, and he would stick with it. Yes. And by the end, you would have to agree with him. He would do a baby turn on himself. Yeah. Yeah, he was so great because he he hit you with a with the premise or a concept. And you're yeah. like, what an asshole. Like, no way. And then slowly but surely, and he would do it through crowd work, too. Like, he'd ask a question of somebody in the audience to go, see? And he'd bring you on this ride, and by the end of it, you were like, ah. He got me. He was right the whole time. He, I was the heel. He was not the heel. I was the heel for booing him. Right. Yeah. So there is a part of me that goes, oh, my God, you know, you, you had him. You had Patrice, and he was writing here. Like, what, what happened? Why don't you let him go do stand-up? But then the other half of me goes, Patrice, you know what this job is. Right. <laughs> These are very busy people. This is a TV show. Right. What is wrong with you? Right, right. What were you, th how did you think this was going to go? And he was, I think he wanted yeah. to, I think as a fan, he just wanted to get his three days out of it. And when he saw it, he was like, okay, I've, I've seen it. I've been that close to it. I've been behind the curtain. I'm ready yeah. to go home now. I'm ready he to go. He did have that Costanza getting hired by the Yankees quality about him. <laughs> You yeah. know, you could see him just going in there, ripping everything up. And they're like, this man's a genius. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Like, there's something about his unapologetic nature that makes me feel like he must be right on this. Right. Right? Like, he he, he must be doing something right. Wow, it's not, it's not dissimilar to what you're doing in wrestling, right? I mean, you're sitting That's here. a good segue, Sam. Well, I mean, I'm, continue. I'm just, well, I'm going, wow. What do you think? I'm one of these, you know, YouTubers that hangs out at indie shows? Come on. Sorry, this is I'm going to derail you because I want to. Uh, point out my second reason of jealousy. Go! Oh my God! Not there couldn't be. There's no reason that you were on Figure It Out. You've done your research, huh? <laughs> <laughs> and I do want to know, and I wasn't able to find the footage, but who were the panelists? Okay, so the panelists were Phil, whatever his name was, who was the host. Phil Lamar? No, yeah. not Phil Lamar. Mad TV. Right. Um, Phil. Yes. Uh, Nick, Nick Arcade. Arcade. Yes. yes. Nick Arcade. Uh, Lori Beth Denberg. Yes. Danny Tamborelli. Of course. And Michelle Trachtenberg. This is Harriet wow. the Spy, Michelle Trachtenberg. Yeah, it was a pretty great panel, all yeah. things considered. You know, I have more followers on Twitter than Lori Beth, and that bothers me. So, so you're not, that's not for you. You're not like, oh, that's a sense of pride. Like, I've really made it. You go, this isn't, I know me, and this isn't right. There's certain people when you're a child that they are so above you, you look up to them so much, yeah. they will always be above you in that sense. Right, right. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Like, it would be wrong. It feels like my life is ending if I've beaten this person. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, like, I've, 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 I've met Danny Tamborelli now, and when we speak, and he, like, speaks as if we're peers or equals, like, I want to stop the conversation and go, like, you know you're little Pete, right? Like, you're... You're on a different level here. Like, well, this conversation is a gift to me. Right. Right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. You need you need him to pay the proper... It would be like if you went to go see The Godfather. Mm-hmm. 
You know, he's like, hey, man, what's going on? You're looking good. And you're like, no, 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 no. You are the godfather. Don't you understand? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, I'm very, I'm, I'm very uncomfortable with it, too. I mean, that's why when you're sitting here going like, well, there's two reasons that I have envy of you. I'm like, I don't think you have put things into perspective properly, RJ City. Yeah. I don't think you know uh, what you're doing. The other thing I've noticed that gives me anxiety mm -hmm. is I have a, a little mini setup here. You have so much, uh, so many accoutrements around you that it makes me nervous that you're going to knock a bunch of stuff over, but you don't flail like I do when we talk. Right. Well, I did. I mean, I, I do have a lot of stuff here and I have knocked things over very seldom, but like yeah. I have like a screen set up with my producer hot dog on it. And there was, and then by screen, I mean either like an old iPad or an old laptop that barely yeah. works. And there was a show where I did, flail and completely just throw the laptop across the room it was yeah it was embarrassing it was an embarrassing moment yeah and but i commend you for still sticking it out you know and you just go you know what maybe i'll just cross my arms when i talk yeah yeah and that'll be it now well, i don't know how much research you have done on me but i was on nickelodeon myself all right i guess i didn't know that i was i mean I, so i'm dumb right i know a whole okay. bunch of your wrestling stuff and like which this is nothing which <laughs> the question what do you know about me <laughs> I know a bunch of your wrestling stuff, and I know there's stuff you're doing now, but what Nickelodeon show were you on, RJ? I was on a show called Splat-A-Lot. I've never heard of that show. Ten years ago, but yeah, thanks. Okay, okay. let's not figure it out. So okay. <laughs> and it was basically a wipeout for kids, uh. and we were defenders of a castle, and each defender had a gimmick, and I was at Gildar. I was a handsome Viking, and you would basically shoot things at kids and do improv with them and then insult them. Oh, that sounds right up your alley. Yeah, so it, I really didn't, it was not that much of a stretch. Right, right. Um, I, and it, it, we did, I think, 56 episodes. Oh. BBC produced it and uh, Australia and Canada, and then Nickelodeon picked it up. And we thought, oh, great. And it was in the middle of the retro lineup between Figure It Out and all that. Oh, wow. And I went, well, uh, this is it. This is my ticket to the big time. And then they burned through it in a summer and never mentioned it again. Oh, that's, well, that's probably why I hadn't heard of it, especially because, like, too, so it was shot in Canada? Yes, it was shot on a, they built a foam castle on a farm in Canada. Well, I feel like that's a good omen for Nickelodeon series because, of course, the first big Nickelodeon series, you can't do that on television, was like yeah. a Canadian show, right? Yeah, I was really the Alanis Morissette of this program. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And you're just waiting now. Jack, you're like you're like inches away from Jagged Little Pill at some yeah, point. I you're... tried to make out with Dave Coulier. <laughs> we weren't clicking. It was a whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. It was tough. It was tough. But there I mean, I feel like that like an awareness, whether it's because of your specific mat based wrestling or not. <laughs> There is. I don't jump. Is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> there, there, there's an awareness. There's an RJ City awareness that I believe has has been this slow growing thing over a couple years, and I feel like you know over the last year or so, it's uh, it's been on a big uptick. Wouldn't you say? Wouldn't you say there's a lot more people in the wrestling world that are aware of of the entertainment value of RJ City? I think so, and I think it came out of like this weird backwards way where other people were doing stuff with me, like, you know, right. David and Mario Cantone <laughs> right. and things of that nature. So I would pop up and then I think people would just click and say, what, what is going on? I yeah. Think there's a certain amount of curiosity that comes with me. Yeah. I, and you know what? It's like the David Arquette thing. 
I could kind of wrap my head around because it's like, okay, David wants to get into wrestling. Like RJ's in wrestling. Like I get the connection, but I feel like Mario Cantone is a big one. Mario Cantone is one where I specifically would go, okay, who's the guy that's gotten Mario Cantone involved in wrestling? Because this is somebody, I always think that it's a really good thing to take wrestling outside of the bubble that we're all in and try to get people who are so far outside to, to become connected with it. And Mario Cantone, I feel like, is the perfect person. Absolutely. And I think it's it's just me going, hey, guys, it's the same thing. Right. You know what I mean? It's not different, although I understand how different it looks from the outside. I also understand that there is a lot of, you know, misinformation and misrepresentation to the outside world. Yeah. It's hard to get across. So Mario and I met on Twitter. Huh. It might have been a tweet about Don Knotts or Madeline Kahn or something, and he liked it. And I was like, oh, what are we doing? And then we just, you know, met, and then we just hit it off. Wow. And you are – how do other – like, when you go to do – it's probably more now. It doesn't happen as much because you're becoming more well-known. But do promoters get you, generally speaking? Like, do they get the sort of meta – weird theatrical levels that you're working on? It seems to be the ones who get me kind of know to be the least involved. Right. They'll just go here, you have a promo, like knock yourself out. <laughs> Here's how long you have, you right. know? Yeah. And knowing that I'll probably go two minutes under anyway. Um, <laughs> you know, there's other people who try to figure it out, but but there are other there are promoters who don't understand, like don't know the value of Mario Cantone. Right. And I say, this man was nominated for a Tony. Right. <laughs> what, what are you not understanding? You know, I have a friend uh, named Nug who actually gave me this Whipper Billy Watson shirt. I'm oh, wearing. oh. And he is a comedian and an actor, and he wanted to do some ring announcing. Mm -hmm. And at this one show, I said, you know, he's a host, he's a comedian. I said it to the booker, so if you need him, whatever. He said, you know, the booker said, uh, Tell him to get some more work on some smaller shows. And I said, he did a movie with Philip Seymour Hoffman. <laughs> yeah. I think he is qualified to <laughs> ring announce for an indie show. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I also think that there is, as a wrestling fan that also has interest outside of wrestling, there's something about a wrestler that is constantly referencing people like Madeline Kahn that I'm like, this is interesting. Like this, I don't, I don't, th that or that, that level of awareness of the outside world. Like, I don't know that outside of Madeline Kahn's era of popularity that there have been that many people that are sitting there going, hey, remember Madeline Kahn? Because the audience is going, no, no, we, yes. I can't tell you that yes. we do. But the, the craziest thing to me is if I'm in a locker room and I'm blah, 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 I'll say something about Madeline Kahn mm -hmm. and then, you know, Bully Ray will walk over and go, I love her. <laughs> I go, what the hell? Um, me, and, me and Mick Foley did a promo once. Uh-huh. Uh, he, he, um, cause I've, I've, we, we've worked together a couple times, but then I opened for a stand-up show and we did a, a promo where it was a, basically a WrestleMania level intensity promo, but he kept forcing me to sing different Broadway songs. <laughs> we did Annie, get your gun. And we did, you know, Phantom, but he wanted to yell it and, you know, get intense and write it in my face. And I guess it's but my other thing is like, well, like, what else am I going to do? Everything else seems to be done. Maybe Madeline Kahn is the only name left on the list. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it hasn't been done, that's for sure. 
I hope not. What? Maybe there's some like low key uh, UK wrestler who's like, <laughs> yeah. I've been mentioning Madeline Kahn for eight years. She's been doing the monologue from Clue in every promo. Like, why is this guy RJ sitting in America stealing my entire gimmick? <laughs> what? And his finishing move is called Flames on the Side of Your Head. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And his tag team partner is Heaving Breasts. Heaving? <laughs> <laughs> Do you, uh, what, what, what's informed? your pop culture base of knowledge. Cause on one end, when you come to me and you're like, yeah, I love tough crowd. I'm like, okay, generationally that makes sense. I could see where that would happen. But then most of the references that you make are from before you would have grown up with it. Like you're not sitting there talking about like star Wars and Ninja Turtles and then going into tough crowd stuff. You're talking about like most of the stuff you talk about is from the seventies. I find Yes, and I think most of this stuff I have learned backwards. Right. First of all, I will blame my grandmother. She was very like, you got to watch Abbott and Costello. You have to watch Laurel and Hardy. Mm -hmm. Like, these, this is it. It does not get funnier than this. And as a kid, you're like, well, I think you would, I would go to school and go, guys, did you, just, did you guys ever <laughs> see the time of their lives? Is anyone familiar with that? With Gail Sondergaard? Is anyone? And they would just, you know whatever um and then i would learn it backwards because i would see stuff like sctv for mm -hmm. example which to me is never gets talked about enough right and i would see the references to you know an orson wells or a liberace and whatever and go okay and then i would trace it backwards yes because you want to get the joke you know it's funny you can fit you can see that it's funny and you get the essence of funny in there but you're like i really i really want to get this joke yes and not understanding it fully never really lessened my enjoyment of it. Mm -hmm. I always enjoyed watching SCTV or the Muppet show is filled with a lot of old, mm -hmm. old references like Lena Horn. Like who is, who wanted to see Lena Horn host an episode? I don't understand. Uh, <laughs> so to me, that inspires me to go, you know what? I'm going to do my stuff and try to, to present it in a way where even if you don't fully get it. Right you know, you'll at least be on board. <laughs> right, right. You get the essence of what it is. And part of it is not getting it, right? Like part of it is is yeah. so unashamedly, like the, 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 the ego that it would take to just assume that everybody understands this reference and everybody's sitting there like, we don't understand the reference, but we like that this character is under the impression that we would all understand this reference. Yes, and I think um, maybe like, Kayla Braxton has seemed to catch on now when we do the bump or whatever, mm -hmm. where she looks at me and she knows the next thing coming out of my mouth is going to be something she has no way of even knowing. <laughs> right. You know, she just knows this is the most obscure reference that could be made. Well, I think that's the other thing. And that might be because SCTV and improv and everything. I feel like you, when you're in interviews and you're on like the bump and things like that, you like to challenge people in the sense of like throwing something out there that like, it's going to take some work to 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 yes and us into some place. Like I'm giving you a start, but you're not going to understand the reference. So let's see what you right. do with it. Right. And I, I enjoy it. And I guess it's it's refreshing in a sense because I enjoy watching stuff. I watch The Bump. I watch your show. And then I'm on, yet I also want to be entertained by it when I'm on. Right. So I want right. To go, you know, what else? I don't want to do the exact same thing you did. Yeah. Yeah, that, I don't makes... want to talk about Bastion Booger, even though I kind of want to. Right. You know? I want to see what else is there. Right, right. And how do we have, let's have fun in this moment. Yes. Like, just because I'm not, just because I'm on the show doesn't mean that I 
shouldn't be able to enjoy it even more than if I were at home watching it. Right. Right. Austin uh, was a perfect example. So me and David did uh, Austin's podcast. Uh-huh. And I said, let's, I said, David, I'm going to, I'm going to call him Steven. <laughs> I'm just going to, you know, you know, you're driving in the car and you're joking about stuff. And then you're like, you're laughing at it. And then there's this part in my body. They're like this little guy on my shoulder going, just do it. Like you have to do it. And the most things I do in, in wrestling or putting videos out usually come from thinking stupid ideas mm-hmm. and then doing them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I remember going, the first thing out of my mouth was, well, hello, Steven. And he just immediately cut me off and just started going at me for calling him Steven. And that, <laughs> you know, brought something out of him and that brings something out of me. Yes. And then it's like, now we're flying and it's so nice. Yes, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I love that because it is, yeah, I mean, it, you just sit there and you go, what would happen if I did this? And then it's that one more step where you go, well, I'm actually going to do it. Right. Like I'm actually going to, I'm actually going to do it because I'd like to see what happens. Yeah. Let, let's find out. I just like to, to walk around and like poke at things. <laughs> yeah. That seems to be it. And let's see what the reaction is. Did you, what, what did you grow up with? Like, like, did you grow up? Cause I, oh, that's what I was thinking of when you were talking and this will segue into the co- Ooh, question yeah. I was about Another to ask. One. Oh yeah. It'll, it'll get there. But um, it reminds me of like, I don't know if you grew up uh, watching like the RF video shoot interviews and the stuff like that. Like, I don't know if you were so into the VHS era as much, but like, Shoot interviews got really, really popular with tape traders and everything, and it was like this this concept of a wrestler just sitting in front of a bad camcorder for four hours and just shitting on people was, like, amazing. When you're, like, a teenager, you're going, it's just, this is real life. This is incredible. And Steve Carino did one in his early ECW days. I think it was the first Steve Carino shoot interview. And for two hours... He lied about everything, but like was so like the whole thing was a joke. He said that he worked for 20 years under a mask in Mexico. He had this entire backstory and he basically just invented this character and he never broke. He never said, oh, I was just kidding. And it just existed. And this is the Steve Carino shoot interview. And the whole thing's a lie. But he's just concocted this character and I put it on and I'm like, this is this is brilliant. This is taking wrestling to like that other place where it's like we can tell stories everywhere right there's first of all those videos in canada it was a little harder Mm -hmm. like we didn't get much ecw we didn't get much wcw so you would see these things and they would really confuse you and throw (laughs) you off and i remember seeing those shoot interviews first of all i remember the hotel uh curtain always being disgusting always (laughs) always (laughs) number one (laughs) Number two, I remember them not making me feel good in the same way when you used to watch like a Maury or Jerry Springer and you used to feel for the person. Yeah. It used to really get your heart and like you wouldn't look away and there was something that compelled you, yet you didn't spring up off the couch after it was over and you said, let's let's go start my day. Right, right. It made me feel kind of gross. Well, yeah, because it was also that thing where it was like, it was that first moment of, well, I've seen them on TV. They're wrestlers. They're these rich superstars. And it's like, well, why did he just sit in this dirty hotel room in front of a bad camcorder for four hours? And I'm like, because yeah. we gave him 350 bucks. And you're like, yes. oh, oh. 
the, the uh, cognitive dissonance yeah. was a lot for me. <laughs> yeah. But I will say, and it's so interesting, and, and also Steve Carino, I enjoy uh, his coffee. Mm. He makes some nice king of old school coffee, and I think it's delightful. Oh. Um, it's when the, I've done so many, you know, the podcasts and oh, like everyone has a thing. And so you get on and it's like, so where were you trained? And like, no one cares. <laughs> I, like, I don't care. So I did start saying, right. I was trained by Jerry Lewis in the Catskill Mountains. <laughs> and the reason I have such good cardio is because he would smoke while we chain wrestled. <laughs> you know, I started just because yeah. whatever. Yeah. And some people would get it most of them wouldn't and there's and you know this from doing interviews and being one yourself there's a habit of asking you a question not really listening to the answer right <laughs> so i would say that stuff <laughs> and they would go oh okay so uh, who was your first match i'm like did you not <laughs> yeah. how could hear... jerry lewis was not a known wrestling trainer especially in the cat skills <laughs> you want to say to them hey lady you know, <laughs> listen up <laughs> Please. <laughs> yeah, I think I saw you on one interview. Somebody asked you what the RJ, I don't remember which one it was. I would give them credit. Somebody yeah. asked you what the RJ stood for, and you said uh, Raul Julia. Yes. And it was just like, all right. Like, they heard it, but it was like, okay, um, if that's what it is, that's what it is. <laughs> you don't know what to do with this information. Right, right. I don't know. because, And it's also, I think most people, especially nowadays, are like, okay, that name sounds familiar, but I don't exactly know who that's a reference to. Right. And so it's even more yet, difficult. Yet, I do, um, I did this series on my YouTube where I would break down actors and my favorite roles and my least favorite roles. Mm -hmm. And I did a Raul Julia one. Mm -hmm. And I'm so happy I, I put it out there because he was Dracula on Broadway mm. after Frank Langella. So Frank Langella, you know that movie? Mm -hmm. with, uh, Frank so he replaced Frank Langella. I, I'm not sure if uh, Rob Bartlett was in the production. <laughs> I think he was. Yes, just I think for so. a holdover, a transition. Uh -huh. And yeah. then um, people would contact me on Twitter, like old people, like they didn't follow me and whatever. And they said, I saw Raul Julia on Broadway as Dracula. And they said, I just want to let you know it was amazing. And wow. thank you for bringing it up. So sometimes it's like, you know, I, I have some sort of dog whistle for nostalgia. Yeah, yeah, but it's really weird nostalgia. It's not the, It's not easy nostalgia. It's not right. like the nostalgia that we're all cashing in on nowadays. It's that like really like, no, let's keep digging. Let's go obscure. Like I watched your Danny DeVito video of like <laughs> yes. the top, you know, my a good one, a bad one and an unknown one. And I'm like, these are not. I mean, I guess Throw Mama from the Train is a pretty famous movie, but I, even on the scale of Danny DeVito movies, right? Throw Mama from the Train doesn't, I don't even think it's top 10 in yeah. terms of well-known. When somebody, I always have to like, uh, if someone's like, oh yeah, Danny DeVito, and uh, I'll have to get through at least five movies before we find <laughs> common ground. Yeah. yeah, but you're just like not saying twins out of spite. like. Oh, it's, but, but also twins is bad. Right. Right. It's bad. And that's the other thing is that a lot of things that are so widely popular are not very good. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, they're dumb. And not that I want to be snobbish about it. But you kind of do. Yeah, but it's not my goal. Right. I just genuinely don't think they're very good. <laughs> right. But oh. I think, and the difference between being critical and being judgmental is that I'm happy to explain to you why. Yes. Yes, that you're not just being snotty and being like, well, I don't like it. You're going, no, right. 
Here's why I've watched it. I gave it a chance. I put it through a proper analysis and it does yes. not cut the mustard. Yes. Yeah. I get that. I really, really tried. But I respect that too. I mean, you have an opinion on something. Like you will watch something and you will say, here is my takeaway from that. And we don't yeah. know. It could be good. It could be bad. You're not going to do it to please the room though. You're going to give your opinion on it. Right. And there are certain things, because I do truly believe that everyone is fair game in that regard. Mm -hmm. And some people get well, very upset and strange if I will say something about Seinfeld, how right. sometimes they fell into the habit of coining a new phrase or word and then just filling the next eight pages of dialogue with it. <laughs> I was like, guys, that was kind of lazy. <laughs> and they don't like that. People don't like Did that. We need the mimbo chat. <laughs> Well, they, they they know they're like well this is this is for the t-shirt we're gonna be able to put shirts out with this word on it so let's right. uh let's or yeah or, or they're just sitting there laughing at yes. something like the hello episode hello you're just like okay I, I think we can sneak this in we could set this up in the first 10 minutes and then coast out the rest of the show yes which i think is the kind of the the pompousness of success which mm -hmm. i feel like you know obviously roseanne had in her final season Right. Where she was like, I'm not really going to show up that much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be a Martin Mole, Fred Willard kind of thing, and I'm just going to hang out in the beef. Yeah, look, the brand is strong enough. The brand yeah. on its own is strong enough to keep this thing afloat. I think that was her trying a brand split. Yeah. yeah you know? Yeah. And maybe a good crossover episode once every uh, three months or something. Yeah, Rob Bartlett would be there to make sure that the crossover episodes yes. were, <laughs> were yeah. all good and not a problem. So, so what did you watch? Like growing up and not just in terms of wrestling, because obviously your wrestling IQ in terms of, you know, history and everything is high up there, you know, with the references that you make and yeah. everything. And I think that that only really comes if you grew up watching it. It's tough to sneak in, you know, Rob Bartlett and Craig DeGeorge uh, uh, references if you just started watching two years ago and found it on the network, you know, that's, that's not, yes. it's a lot of content to intake to, to go that deep. So, but at the same time, you go deep with a lot of different things, even outside of pro wrestling, Madeline Kahn stuff, like your movie stuff, your comedy stuff. So like, did you just, were you just the type of kid that just grew up consuming content constantly? Yes. It was something that was an activity to me. Mm-hmm. It was just like something that we always did. Also, I think it was a way that, you know, my family perhaps communicated that way. Right. They were, this is how we speak to each other, quoting movies and things of that nature. Yeah. And, you know, making comparisons, saying you look like, saying you look like Orson Welles. Right. You know, is a yeah. funny thing. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's a language in a sense. Yeah, my wife, I didn't realize we were doing that in my house until my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, was like, she actually came to me after a few years and she was like, like, I know that it's, I didn't even realize that my family did it, but she was like, I know that it's something that you guys do, but it's so annoying. You guys quote the exact same Simpsons episodes and Labyrinth quotes every single time that you yes. get together. And I'm like, do we do that? Do we quote Labyrinth? She was like, every time, every time. But it was like that with my grandmother and like a Henny Youngman quote or something. Right. You know, <laughs> so it was very, I do, I do blame her for a lot of it. I do love the idea of you going to school as like a kid and not, because we, we don't know 
what's in the zeitgeist when you're a kid. What's in the zeitgeist is whatever's in front of your face, right? So the idea right. that you have all this information that everybody else in school is like, what are you talking about? When I was a child, and this can be confirmed if you want to get all journalistic about it. I will. I was in kindergarten and I would sing because I saw it on the Muppet show. Uh, there's no business like show business. Like <laughs> Ethel Merman. And I'm singing in the rain, Gene <laughs> Kelly, whatever. And I thought, sure. this is fantastic. Isn't everyone and everyone <laughs> likes, you know, Star Wars. And I'm like, but guys, <laughs> hello, what are we doing? This is fantastic. <laughs> so I was really, really culturally speaking. I think we figured out I'm about 62, 63 years old. It seems like it. It seems like yeah. it. Like some of the references you drop, I'm like. Like, are you, what generation are you going for, man? Like, what do you? My, my demographic is dead. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So were you, what did you want? What did you want to do with your life when you started to like put those thoughts together? Did you want to be a wrestler? Because obviously while you're singing, singing in the rain, you're also, you must've been watching wrestling all the time too. Yes. Wrestling was running parallel to this and was always the same to me. Like it's hard for now that I look back, I go, yeah, The Muppet Show and Milton Burrell to me, was the same as watching Bobby Heenan cut a promo. I remember, I think, <clears throat> I think uh, Mr. Perfect lost to the Texas Tornado, and I remember their post-match promo, and I just remember thinking it was very funny at the time. Right. Even though I understood it, and also, and I don't want to get off on a tangent of, of comedy and wrestling, but you can be funny and still move the pieces of the story. Yeah. It doesn't cheapen anything to me. And Bobby Heenan is hilarious and was hilarious constantly. Yeah. Yeah. And also like you're, you're depending on your perspective, like you might miss the funny because you're so involved in the wrestling that you're, because it's furthering the story. But at the same time, if you're not that involved in the story and you just see the funny, these two people have now seen two different promos, but it's the same thing. And they're both equal quality. Right. The same way that you could watch a comedy and still feel for the characters. Right. Right. Same thing. So, so go ahead. You never got, it was never like a sports thing for you wrestling. <laughs> God, no. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was the same way. Like I was, I was never, I was never, I remember my parents like saying they were worried about bringing me to my first live show because yeah. they thought I would find out, you know, I would I'd start to see how the magic was made, but like it never occurred to me that it, wouldn't be magic being made. Like it just, I never, and I never had that crossroads. there's this weird thing with kids where they intuitively understand how to play wrestle. Mm -hmm. The same way that cats and dogs do. They will play with you and not actually bite you. Like we, <laughs> we understood even when you were a kid and you were like, this is real and blah, blah, blah. Like yelling and arguing about it. You understood when you wrestled with your friends. Don't get me wrong. Some kids were dangerous and, and reckless and, you know, we're really out to New Jack people. They were New Jack kids. <laughs> yeah. And they should have been barred from the playground. Uh, but you got it. It's a fun, it's a play. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's performance art. Before you even knew what performance art was. Right. You got what was going on. So did you, did you want to be a wrestler? Did you want to be a stage actor? Did you want to be a movie star? So I found this. So I played hockey as most Canadian children did. Sure. And they do a thing where it was like picture day, but for hockey. And, you know, they make a little hockey card and have your stats on the back. Mm -hmm. And I'm 10 years old at the time of this card. And I had only found it years and years later. And it says hobbies. And I had listed 
literally wrestling slash entertaining. And then it said future ambition wrestler slash entertainer. Wow. So, first of all, to, to know the slash, to know both of them had to be there mm -hmm. equally was impressive, number one. Number two, <laughs> for a 10-year-old to use the term entertainment. <laughs> like, who, who's that cognizant of, like, this is a person and, who's here to entertain me? And yet, I feel like that is exactly what I, you know, became. Whether yeah. I'm entertaining or not is a, you know, matter of opinion. <laughs> right. But... It's so weird. I kind of I was also thinking about it. I kind of turned into one of those celebrities that is only famous because they do uh, game shows that celebrities are on. <laughs> totally. Which, again, is like a very 70s thing, like yeah. a, a professional guest. Right. Why yeah. is Brett Summers famous? Oh, uh, because she's on Match Game. Well, who's on Match Game? Famous people. What's she famous <laughs> for? Being on Match Game. And you're like, I don't, I don't quite understand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I, that yeah, that is true. That's why people can like go like, yeah, RJ City, he's the best. What's your favorite match? What? What? Huh? <laughs> why would you, why would you have one? Huh? <laughs> I think my truest fans have never seen me work. Yeah, yeah, and that's the beauty of it, isn't it? Yeah. So do you feel like when you got to like work out and stay in shape, is there a part of you that resents that because you're like, I mean, do I really need to be in good shape to do this? No, I would like to. Um, be in good shape and not have any use for it. <laughs> it's just fun. Yeah, I did it. I just, you know, whatever. And that really got around to utilizing the whatever. Yeah, the muscles. I built these muscles, but I don't have anything to do with them. They are for show. I don't <laughs> yeah. chop wood or anything. Which is the most wrestling way you could use your muscles anyway. Which is it's such a thing like when I did, ooh, I don't know how deep you got in your research on this. Okay. I was in a movie called Monster Brawl, Sam. And if you haven't heard of it, I urge you to do a review of it one day okay monster are you brawl. writing it down absolutely are you fake writing it down or are you real writing it down I'm, let me uh, see the pen okay hang on monster there we go brawl no uh, i mean yeah it, bad movies are a passion the of premise mine. of the film is classic monsters wrestling i love it i love it already kevin nash uh, uh robert maie who's kurgan uh, uh rosemary uh-huh uh, who else is in it? Dave Foley. Of course. From Kids in the Hall. News Radio, um, yeah. <clears throat> yes. Jimmy Hart. My God, what a cast. Uh, Herb Dean from UFC, the sure, ref. Sure. I'm trying to think who else is in it. Oh, and Art Hindle, who you may remember from, I think, uh, Porky's. Okay. <laughs> he was in Black Christmas. Oh, okay. Then I'll definitely. I mean, if he's in Porky's and Black Christmas, as soon as I see him. He's like a journeyman Canadian actor. Love it. And I played the mummy and the wolfman. Because <laughs> you can wear it. You can cover it yeah. up. It doesn't matter. No, it doesn't matter. But no, you do see a transformation scene oh. from me into the wolfman. And the most unrealistic part is that I'm in the woods. You're like, I don't I don't buy this at all. He would never be outside. He wouldn't go outside. No, no, no. That, yeah. This transition would happen in a climate controlled environment. And there's a, this montage of me training and they had to teach me how to chop wood. Wow. Right before it happens. I'm like, guys, and they're like, wow, I thought you were a wrestler. I said, yeah, but I'm not, you know, Don Leo Jonathan. <laughs> I, I don't think that this is, you know, <laughs> to show everyone. So how did you start to get involved with WWE and their digital stuff? Because, you know, I, I love 
these stories and there's there they I feel like they just keep growing where WWE used to be such a closed environment where it was either you're in or you're out. And I feel like yeah. over the last five to seven years or so, they've been going like, okay, we can sprinkle a little of you over here without disrupting that. We can sprinkle a little bit of you over here without disrupting that. And then right. all of a sudden you wake up one morning and here's RJ City as a regular guest, <laughs> as, as the Paul Lind of the bump. Basically, I think I'm described as uh, downloadable content at this point. <laughs> yeah. um, I don't know what the story is on their end uh -huh. that might be worthy of investigation. Yeah. But I was very much of the impression that I was on the outside of things and I was fine. I'm doing my stuff. I'm good. And I, you know, no ill will. It's fine. And in March, somebody, uh, a friend of a friend contacted me because they wanted uh, David Arquette's information because I thought they were like, oh, it's a WWE. I thought, I thought they wanted to have him on the bump or something. Mm -hmm. So I was like, all right. And I, I hooked them up and uh, David said, oh, okay, great. You're, you're going to do it too, right? I said, no, no, like this is for you. I'm like, they asked him, I'm, oh, okay. And the day he was doing it, he sent me the Zoom link. And they said, David, I don't, you don't show up to it. You know what I mean? Like yeah. for Zoom etiquette. <laughs> to just. You don't. Like, what, are you out of your mind? Like, do this. Enjoy yourself. I'm not, you know. Right. And he kept sending it. He kept sending it. And he said, he said, we're tag team partners. We do this together. That's so romantic. Which is so sweet of him. <laughs> yeah. And, and I said, no. Finally, his wife sent me the link. And I'm wow. like, okay. Like. And as you know, you know, if you've also seen his documentary, mm -hmm. she's the one who really is a, a legitimate human being as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> right, that makes sense. Uh, so I said, all right, I click on this link and I'm nervous. This is in the early days of the Zoom business. I don't, you know. Sure. And it turned out it was the Zoom call. They tried to do a Zoom call to get as many celebrities and superstars on as possible at once. Yes, I remember that. Yeah. Okay, so halfway through it, <clears throat> I click on, I think I'm just going to see one person in David. I see 10 different faces. <laughs> I see, you know, at least, you know, Ray Mysterio, I know, Matt Camp, I know, and I, but I'm looking at Titus O'Neil, I'm going, this person doesn't know who I am. Right. This person doesn't want me here. So I immediately start apologizing for even being there. <laughs> on the air. And yeah, yeah, on the air. Yeah. And me and David, you know, inherently go into this routine which is us conversing he was wearing a cowboy hat and i said what's the matter you don't have a bigger one and of course he went away and got a bigger cowboy hat that's just the kind of person he is yeah so i was on for you know very awkward call because everyone's like what are we doing and i do think i i brought out a picture of madeline Kahn and grover of course that did. i had next to me i just had a bunch of because i was setting up like my youtube stuff i didn't know what i want to have in the background so i had all these pictures and i thought well, that was funny, and they're also going to completely cut it out. Sure. Sure. <laughs> As I, they should. They I, had every right to. You weren't invited. I wasn't invited. Right. It was nice seeing everybody. It was a good laugh. And then, lo and behold, the, the whole thing was left in. And I was like, well, that's really nice. And I remember getting texts going, how did you hack into this Zoom call? <laughs> Um, and and then it went from there. And I think the first thing I ended up doing uh, was the SummerSlam watch along. Mm -hmm. 
you're like uh, which with with Bivens and and Woods, and it's one of those things where um, nobody knows who I am, and then oh, there are all these people you don't realize. You're like, oh no, I've worked with these people before. I know all these people. Right, right, yeah. You think you're an outsider, and then it's like, oh wait, like all the people that went to WWE, like they're there. I know them yeah. from before. Like we're yeah. we're all in the same business. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I'm sure other things helped like uh Austin doing coffee and underwear with me, which was <laughs> not hurt. necessary of him to do and was incredibly generous. There are a few uh coffee and underwear guests that like I would love to know about the pit. I mean, Austin obviously pitching Austin on it and explaining the concept has got to be amazing, but at the same time, I've been around Eddie Kingston before. Yeah. And like Eddie Kingston is not the type of person. Like if I had this like weird, you know, idea for a skit and I was going to be in my underwear, I would probably be intimidated to go up to Eddie Kingston and go, you don't have to be in your underwear if you don't want to. I'm definitely going to be in mine and we'll drink coffee together and I'll like make fun of you for a while. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things. I feel like the me and Eddie relationship is like the Don Rickles and Sinatra relationship. Okay. All right. Where like John Rickles can make fun of him and like no one else. Yes. And it's one of those things where I never wanted to oppress upon people to be on the show. I never wanted to have a guest every episode. Uh -huh. So I didn't want to be scrambling and begging and, you know, whatever. And it's one of those things where you you do enough of them. And then Eddie was like, well, when are we going to do your show? <laughs> we'll do it. And I think people also know that I, if I am going to make fun of them, I'll do it in, a, you know, at least an entertaining way. Right. It's for the purpose of comedy, not to like put yourself over. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. And I also never force anyone to be in their underwear. Right. I say, I'm going to be in mine. Whatever you want to wear is up to you. And you <laughs> but I'm <would> definitely. <laughs> surprised, though, at how many people are willing to drop trowel. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it's part of the. The improv part of 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 wrestling is that yeah. you're supposed to yes and like there's a lot yeah. of yes and going on in the ring and and part of that is dropping trow but I, I respect Eddie Kingston for not dropping trow but still yeah. going along with it and still having a good time and yeah I mean the Stone Cold one is pretty legendary you had to know that when you got Stone Cold to agree to this and you were like okay I'm gonna show up in my underpants <laughs> that that whatever happens here this is this is the stuff of legends. Well, because we did, because me and, and David were like, okay, what do we do? First of all, we got there so early, way, way, way too early, like an hour early. And we're like, let's go have lunch. Uh -huh. We're in the area. We made it. We're not going to be late. Let's go have lunch. Yes. And we remember he found this little diner and we're sitting there talking about whatever. It was very Pulp Fiction-y sitting in the car, that kind of vibe. Uh -huh. um, but then we saw these pies on a turntable thing. And I was like, you know, we should really bring them something and he I, and you know david said but he said don't bring us anything and i said well that's all the more reason <laughs> you just bring them something yeah. you know so we got him a cherry pie sure and then we were going to drive around the block you know when you're nervous you want to scout the person's location and then yep. and so we're slowly driving and of course he's uh standing outside talking to a neighbor <laughs> he's like he saw us i think he saw us what and he's like just park just park we have to get out and <laughs> It was amazing, and I don't think um, Austin maybe gets enough credit for one doing his research and being a very good interviewer. Yeah, really, really. I mean, he he had notes on me. 
Yeah. When I came in and he was looking at my Instagram, he said, I want to talk about those shoes. I saw them on your Instagram. I'm like, excuse me? Talk about somebody who should just be the godfather. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm like, no, no, no. And really, really, you know, look, there are a lot of uh, podcasts and wrestlers who could easily phone it in. Uh-huh. And he is, I would say, at the top of the list of someone who totally could if he wanted to. Absolutely. But really takes this seriously. And also is very, very, very giving, in my experience, to the younger generation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's giving to whoever he's talking to, I find, because there's two things that he could do and not take an ounce of flack for it. He could phone it in. Yeah. And he could make it about himself. And nobody would be mad if he made it about himself. And even if if, if Austin is interviewing you and he's making it about himself, I mean, he's Stone Cold Steve Austin. You're going to be like, this is still the greatest thing ever. But the yeah. fact that he never makes it about himself. Right. It's it. Yeah. It's mind blowing. I think, I think you're right. He deserves a lot more credit than he gets for the stuff that he's done with that podcast and everything else. The interviews. So we did it. And you know, I, I hit him with a good dog whistle of Nick Bockwinkle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which I think he picked up on and he's like, okay. And after it, you know, we finished and just talking for 30, 40 minutes about whatever. And I showed him, I don't know, have you seen the cartoons I did? The the greatest moments in wrestling history? Yeah. Okay. You can say no, it's okay. No, because I'm sure I did. I think I saw I them thought, when you... I told Hulk Hogan to do a leg drop. And <laughs> yeah, I think I saw, I saw them when I you put them out the first time, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um. So we were, I have just been working on them then, so I showed him those, and, and we were just talking, and then there was this little lull, and I said, look... Uh, I'm going to ask you to do something. And, you know, if you say no, it's totally okay. And I will leave. And he said, no, no, let's do it. He knew exactly what I was talking about. <laughs> and there's some weird thing where people want to do it. <laughs> and yeah. he's the only person I ask. Cause it's like, when am I going to see him again? I'm not going to run into him at an indie show. I also think that on some level, he probably also gets that it would be hilarious if Stone Cold Steve Austin was on this show. Right. Like he knows he gets it. Yes. And so that I think that's part of why he does it. Cause it's like, yes. like, it's just, I mean, it's great. It's, 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 it's so and funny. The best part is that it was filmed by David. It was. <laughs> yes. yes. And we did it in one take. I said, let me do this and you do whatever you want. We'll keep it <laughs> short and that's it. And it came out just clean. And I was like, well, it's not going to get any better than that. Done. I'm going to pull up my pants. And it was, Thank you for having me in your house. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just, I'm just glad that you were wearing your camera friendly underpants that day, that you weren't wearing yeah. some like garbage. Like... Always have to have your gear in the car. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's what they teach you. Um, how did you, how did you end up? It's one thing to end up like doing a storyline with David Arquette as David Arquette is, is coming back into wrestling. But the fact that you guys are now kind of linked, you know, you're almost like professional life partners. I feel like it goes so far beyond yeah. just like wrestling and stuff like that. How did, how did the, not the wrestling stuff, but how did the bond happen? How did, how did your lives become so, intertwined? The, the weird thing is, and it is a little out of order in the documentary because of the story that they're telling, but my feud with him starts online before I even know he's planning on wrestling or planning on doing a documentary. Uh-huh. He had been thinking about it. Uh, we have a friend who has written for him and lives in Toronto. And I know him, his name is Ben Joseph. 
he knew David was thinking about getting back into wrestling. So he said, David, follow this guy. I love him. Maybe you guys can talk or whatever. So this guy sends me a message saying, hey, David Arquette's going to follow you. And like, how many times have you heard things that sound cool and then just never happen, right? Of course. So I'm trained at this point to just say, sounds good and think it's never going to happen. He follows me and, you know, starts replying to my tweets. I think I was dog whistling him a bit too, because, you know, his family is a family full of actors. Of course, the Arquettes. His father, his grandfather was Charlie Weaver. His great grandparents were in vaudeville. That's like what they did. Right. And so one day I said, you know what? Uh, While while I was doing coffee and underwear, I said, I'm just going to call it out in a fun way. I didn't think anyone would whatever or you know i've i've also tweeted vicky lawrence so many times and she's never answered and not a peep her nephew probably runs her twitter yeah but i thought you know whatever and next thing i know it was like the next day he did a video back and everyone starts going what the hell is going on and he's such a joyful person that it's it's so much fun to be so horrible to him yes uh, and then his sister got involved, thinking the whole thing was real, <laughs> which is great. Right. So now we're in. Now we have an Oscar winner. Now this means something. Right. <laughs> an Oscar winner. You know. Yeah. And it turned into this whole thing, and we started talking. And I ended up uh, seeing him at WrestleMania when it was in New Orleans, and he did coffee and underwear with me, which was like my first like, like a pre-taped, and we just sat and talked, and there was this weirdness. And he didn't really know what he was going to do wrestling wise. Mm-hmm. He knew he was going to do a, you know, a bunch of stuff. Of course, after that, you have a bunch of promotions emailing you going, whenever you want, you guys have a ring. Right. You know? <laughs> You're like, okay. And, and then at some point, I guess he got hooked up with, you know, the directors and however they were going to line it up. They were like, all right, let's do this uh, in July. And I was like, what? Like, you don't want to take a little more time to maybe, you know, train. Yeah that kind of thing. And then the, the scene in Mexico, uh-huh. the infamous street wrestling scene. Yeah, which I didn't, I, even I didn't know street wrestling was a thing. Right. I I show up at his house ready to train uh, and just because our match was like the, the next day or in two days and I get there and his wife said, oh, he, he'll be back soon. He's just coming back from Mexico. I said, well, no one has told me about this. <laughs> and he gets out of the car holding his ribs and it's like, this was, you know, absolutely insane yeah yeah and they still don't understand why he's done it uh-huh. you know um i always say he's like a 12 year old trapped in the body of a rugged 12 year old but to some extent i mean your back and forth seemed like it had a lot to do with coaxing him back into the world I think so. And I also, we put that match together, not sure if he would even wrestle again Mm -hmm. because he had already fractured his ribs and you know, gee, this might be it. Yeah. So we said, how do we kind of try to get him over and we'll, if they only have this one match, can they make a movie of this? You know? Mm -hmm. And, and that was kind of, it was designed, but then we also left it open. And the reason I started teaming with him is because he was hurt and didn't want to continue being hurt. Right. Uh, so we ended up with this relationship where I'm Charles Grodin and he's Martin Short. <laughs> and he's he's ruining my life. And I do remember being in the ring going like, gee, we're this team where I'm a heel. Mm-hmm. And he's a full-on baby face. And he's <laughs> ruining my life. Yeah. And I go, I d- like, I don't know how this could ever happen under any other circumstance. 
Speaking of Martin uh, Short. Yes. Another great Canadian. Yes. I'm going to tell you that when I watch your interviews of you interviewing people. Yes. And you start insulting people <laughs> and you start explaining things in condescending ways. Yes. There is a lot of a character named Jiminy Glick. I am such a fan that I see in your in your in your conversational stylings. I'm like sitting there because I will probably four to five times a year just go back into my Jiminy Glick YouTube loops just because yes. they're so ahead of their time and incredible and just they're the best things ever. But it's basically this character that that Martin Short did where he's like an entertainment journalist, but one of those entertainment journalists that have been in the business for years and years and years. And is just a total idiot, has no manners, and just asks awful questions and really puts his guests in extremely uncomfortable situations where it's like, what you, first of all, you don't know who I am. And second of all, you got that totally wrong. Um, Lear learning things backwards. Yes. There is also uh, Fernando Lamas. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when Billy Crystal did Fernando's Hideaway on Saturday Night Live, ah, which was really the similar, that improvised, I'm a character, but you're not, and I'm insulting you, but I'm also not. Right. And then even before that, I really think the originator in a non-ironic way was a Hollywood interviewer named Skip E. Lowe. Skip E. Lowe. I don't... If you are not familiar, you might need to write this down next getting, to Monster Brawl. Get the pen out again. There's interviews with him on YouTube with uh, Rip Taylor oh. and Shelly Winters and Cesar Romero. <laughs> and he is such an admirer of Hollywood, yet, uh -huh. you know, a kind of a useless human being. Yeah. <laughs> There's some, I, I wish I remembered her name. There's a, 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 a woman who was an entertainment reporter in like the 70s that I think it just went around recently. Like it got repopularized. She for... got very close to like Gene Hackman. Yeah, yeah. That and it was, yeah, yes, yes, yeah. Yes. And it was LA very, Google. very confrontational. Very confrontational. Yes. Yeah. Like yes. unnecessarily so. Yes. Yeah. And there's, there's something so comforting about those people. Yeah. Because they're so, I guess, joyfully ignorant. Mm-hmm. But it's, you know? it's also, it's their true self. Because nobody right. would pretend to be this person, <laughs> like right. You know, I mean, this is such. These are such unlikable character traits. Mm. Nobody would put them on. And you go, God, I do admire them for not thinking twice. Yeah, yeah. That... And in some ways, that's the the inspiration of going. Let's let's call Steve Austin Stephen. Right, right. Let's just see. If I were if I were not an overthinker, if I were blissfully ignorant, what yeah. would I do? Let me just do yeah. that. Yeah. Let me just do that. It and you do admire the person who shows up at the party, is an annoyance to everyone, uh. you know, says well-meaning insults, and everyone goes, God, that was horrible, yet they have no idea. Yeah. And, and it's those people that make me frightened because I don't want to be that person so badly uh -huh. that I assume everyone already hates me. <laughs> right, right, right. It's always a pleasant surprise when you find out they're like, oh, yeah, they all really liked you. You're like, they probably just told you that. I think. Yeah. I think they were just like, I mean, that's that's like industry speak, right? They were just kind of making right. it seem like because clearly I'm a piece of garbage. Like they, yes. they clearly hated me.
Yes. I yeah. always feel like if I have insulted myself in the morning, I look in the mirror and I insult myself as much as I can, then no one can touch me for the rest of the day. Yeah. Sometimes I think if subconsciously, that's why I purposely make Twitter mad at me. Cause that's, that's what I think I deserve. And I don't have to, I don't have to worry about unconsciously making people upset at me. Right. If I did it on purpose. Right. 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 Which is perhaps the joy of being a heel. Yeah, I guess so. You know? I guess so. Imagine being a baby face. How Ugh. insecure you would be then. Uh. Well, are you worried about that? Are you worried that with all the likability and people are getting to know you and you're getting popular and you've you've been pumping out crazy amounts of content during the quarantine and building your fan base and making people laugh on the bump and doing all this stuff, that when you get back to wrestling on a regular basis, I mean, it's not going to be... People might boo you, but they would only boo you with this, like, super consciousness of it. Like, I'm only booing him because I really like him and I know he really wants me to. Right. Well, yeah, I like to remind people, you know, I'm a heel. Please boo. <laughs> yeah. It would be great if you could if you could just do that. Yeah. <laughs> really, really appreciate it. Yeah. But I think I'm, you know, maybe curmudgeonly in the Walter Matthau sense. Right. Where that's what was what's expected, <laughs> and if I showed up smiling and you know whatever, if I showed up in a good movie to befuddle people, right, right, for all the wrestling fans out there, and that maybe are... that's the only way I can be a real heel now is if I say, "Hey, that was a great wrestling show, huh?" I hope there are people listening to this conversation. <laughs> just like me with a pen that just have two pages. Okay, Walter Matthau, let me, I don't know who any of these people are that these two are talking about. <laughs> well, well, I mean, Walter Matthau, come on. I mean, at least I, give him Dennis the Menace. Yeah, look, Dennis the Menace, grumpy old man. He had a, he had a run. Yeah. But even that was in the 90s. Like, even that was 25 years I ago. Know. You I know? know. <laughs> like, I feel so bad about it. The stuff that we're going, no, this is recently. Wrestling yeah. fans are like, I wasn't born for that. I'm right. 22. I don't know what you're talking about. Yes. Do you... even, the, even I try to mention Laurel and Hardy, and people don't even know the recent movie. <laughs> right. <laughs> the very, very recent Laurel and Hardy movie. Yeah. <laughs> do you have uh, Do you have goals? Like, are you the type of person, and I don't even know if you would say it publicly, but like... When you get on WWE's social radar, like when you get on the radar of the digital department, do you then start thinking, I wonder how this character would fit in a WWE or an NXT or an AEW or whatever, one of those bigger organizations? Do you think on those levels? Or are you still, I think I'm just going to keep pushing content out and then see where the opportunities fall? WWE is weird in that it's almost like a little city. Uh -huh. it's almost like uh new york where you say if you if where do you live new york city that's almost like not saying anything at all right you know what i mean it's so big it's right. like well, what do you mean by that right uh so i think the the digital space has been uh, this little sandbox where i can do some incredibly stupid things and i've been excited about that yes um certainly i never have a shortage of ideas right for any, you know, format of, of, you know, it be a show or whatever. So I'm like, you know what? I have them. I also know not only this business, but the business of show mm -hmm. is a fickle mistress. Mm -hmm. And sometimes things happen and sometimes things don't. And I can't really concern myself with things that are beyond my control. And luckily, being a wrestler 
slash entertainer, <laughs> yes. you have a lot of options here. I would hope so. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Especially, so, you know, with this new wave of Golden Girls nostalgic popularity, I feel like, you know, that right there is an opportunity in and of itself. Which is so weird. And I sit and I look at it and I go, what about wings, guys? <laughs> what about wings? <laughs> what yeah. about wings? That's my new show, my new podcast. <laughs> what, what about wings? What about wings? Where you go episode when, by episode by yourself. You leave a message on Stephen Weber's answering machine. <laughs> yeah. Stephen, just... uh we're on episode 30 of the pod. I uh, don't know if you've heard it, but uh, we'd love to have you on and, and pick your brain on some of these great eps. <laughs> it's a, that was a weird, really weird show. Cheers, but in an airport. Yeah, there was something about Wings where even as a kid, the com I think it was probably on USA, like I was probably watching Raw, and like yeah. the commercials would come on for all the Wings reruns. That was the original SVU on USA. It was it yes. was it was Wings. And even as a kid, I would watch the commercials and be like, "I'm never watching that show. I won't do it." You know, I liked Wings in the same way. They were collectively attractive, the same way the cast of Taxi was. Yes, yes. If there's any way I could have you all at once, there was. Yeah. <laughs> I would Tony Shalhoub included. I think you're all. Very, very uh, attractive. But, well, you know, as a child, shows like that and shows like Mad About You, I mean, that's what a relationship was to me. Yeah. That yeah. looked like a healthy marriage. Can you believe the tragedy of they like are like, we're doing a Mad About You reboot and all the networks were like, no, thank you. It's like of all the, that was a huge show. It's so insulting. It goes right back to your Lori Beth Denberg Twitter thing. Yeah. You know? And I know... Now that I look at the riser trajectory, remember he tried to do like a Curb Your Enthusiasm? Yeah. And it didn't really. Mm -mm. And then I think him doing Stranger Things was his way to to get the heat behind him again. Right. And he must have had it in his back pocket. Right, right. You know? Yeah. And said, here we go. Yeah. And it's so funny, like that show, he was a documentarian. Yeah. Yeah. The, what? <laughs> like, that's a job. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> I never seemed to make anything. Well. Just, it was just an excuse for, like, him to watch TV and not really do anything. Right. And they, they, we don't have to film scenes with him at work. Right. Right. Like, we can just do this this apartment set and we'll be fine. Yeah. Speaking of yeah. documentaries and documentarians. Please. I don't know if you guys know about this, but over on the Fight Network uh, YouTube you can see this uh, documentary called RJ City Wrestling Raconteur. And I mean, I don't know how you uh, how you wormed your way into this one, but it's it's pretty amazing because this documentary, I watched the whole thing. It's brilliant. I love it. But it really is just basically about an hour of you dissecting what you do and dissecting wrestling and explaining the the philosophy and the psychology of all of it, and it's great. Thank you, but I think um, it's not a documentary in the sense that like, or it's not a biography in the sense mm -mm. that you, by the time you're done, you don't know anything about my life. No, no, no. Right, which I think is good, because I again, I go, uh, you know, being a harsh critic, who cares where I was trained? Right. Or, you know, I first I first met David online. Like, no one cares. Right. Like, let's get to the meat of, you know, what this is, and the idea was months and months and months ago when we thought if we just lay low for a month, everything will go back to normal, that they could do follow me to wrestling shows and follow me to comedy shows. Mm -hmm. And I would do a scenario like in Toronto where I would literally do a wrestling show, be the opening match, and then go book it to a comedy show. 
like there's a couple blocks away and like go do a thing. And that, that, that was a cool thing to film. I get it, whatever. Uh, the guy's name is, is George Barbosa, who did all their Fight Network original stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, obviously, the longer it went, the more it was obvious that none of this would be possible. So I said, but it's, you know, it's not necessary. Go to an indie show and say, oh, look, this is the booker and this is the car. <laughs> like, let's just lock me in a room and we'll talk about things. And I did for, I think, three and a half, four hours. Mm-hmm. And he, I don't know why, sat through all of it. And decided to pick out, I, I guess, what spoke to him and include, you know, clips from coffee and underwear and things of that nature. So I think it's it's basically my Twitter out loud. <laughs> yeah, that'd be a good way to describe it. <laughs> yeah. All the references are there. All the uh, seriousness is there. All the jokes are there. It's all I mean, yeah, yeah, it's it, it answers the question. Who is RJ City without actually giving you any information? Right. It's just your it's essence. It's just your essence. If somebody had listed the references I made, <laughs> yeah. and it was the first one I made, which is a big risk, was Abe Knuckleball Schwartz <laughs> and uh, Wild Bull Curry uh-huh. and and then the New York Dolls. <laughs> and I think that co- that covers a lot of ground. It really does. Yeah, I did like that in the very beginning. I was like, okay, this is what we're in for when you're like, yeah, you know, wrestling is a, it's a reflection of society, like Abe Knuckleball Schwartz. And it's like, that is a lot of assumed information. <laughs> I mean, I got it, but. Blatant example to me. <laughs> I, and it you made know. perfect sense. I was like, yeah, that is what they did. That is a, it is a reflection. He, he's, he's right. He's right. <laughs> he's right. You just have to do a little dusting. Right. To right. see what he's talking about. Well, RJ City, I appreciate the time. You guys can follow RJ City all on social media. You can get him on Twitter. You can uh, go through YouTube and go down a rabbit hole of all the content that's up there. And uh, it's been a pleasure, man. Thank you. Thank you. And and say hi to Mr. Bartlett for me. Oh, I will. I will. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Follow at Not Sam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Rate, review, and subscribe. This has been Not Sam Wrestling. Not Sam.